about to have this rehearsal. I'm about to sit down and write this scene. I'm about to paint this flat uh, for the set design. I don't know what will happen next. I have to let the, the, the hemisphere of my brain that isn't in control have some say in the process. That's what we're trying for. conversation about the artistic process. This is Brie, like the cheese, and I'm your host thanking you for making this podcast a part of your day. This community continues to grow and grow and it truly means the most to have your ears listener. How have you made time for art today? Whether it be creating the things or consuming the things, I hope the artistic community around you has brought you a sense of belonging and wonder. Speaking of community and the wonders of being together with other creatives, today's guest packs a humongous container of inspiration. The artistic director of the North Carolina-based organization, The Performing Arts Project, zooms in from New York to chat with me. The Performing Arts Project, or TPAP for short, is a nonprofit organization formed by a group of respected educators and entertainment industry professionals to help prepare the next generation of performers. If you are a 25 or younger artist looking for summer training, I recommend this program with my whole being. I've attended TPAP twice now, and I will return as soon as humanly possible. We discuss more in the episode, including the infinite offerings you'll find at TPAP, but be sure to check out the website link in the description for more details on how to audition. Listener, activate your senses and let go of the shoulds here is an hour with Jonathan Bernstein. Podcasts. I never know how to begin. Try something you've never tried. Or try whatever you want and see if that works. My first thought is, how do you feel three years into the pandemic today? Oh, uh, wow. What a wonderful and but weighty uh, launch. Um, I have so many confusing perspectives and views on these past three-ish years. You, you ended your question by saying today, so I'll just be completely honest about where I am today. I feel a little less confused than in recent weeks, but nonetheless overwhelmed by having patted myself on the back in the early going three years ago, March 2020. As we sit here now, it's March 13th, 2023. Wow. And about exactly three years ago, the shit started to hit the fan. Mm. And I remember pivoting nimbly to new normals, new ideas of how to cope, who I am in a crisis. And the story turns a, a little southward in a moment. But like in the early going, I was like, oh, okay, great. Good for you, self, for being... Mm-hmm. Uh, not terribly panicky, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hunkering down to want to protect uh, the woman with whom I live and and myself by extension, but in that order. Mm-hmm. And I just I just changed all of my routines throughout mm-hmm. the old and brought in a, a ton of new and disorienting modes of being. I seemed to do it, or so I thought at the time, 
really effortlessly. And I was like, yeah, great. And I think I stayed in that state of mind longer than I intended to. Mm. And then maybe about, I don't know exactly when, Brie, but like, let's call it three or four months ago. So a good two and a half years, at least. It's a lot to maintain. Yeah, I, I, I started to realize the way in which my life had become very small, very politicized. Mm. And I actually started to, uh, how do I put this, admonish myself for how quickly I was able to change everything mm. and not see the forest for the trees at all, but just to concentrate only on trees. And in fact, leaves of trees. Like I didn't see mm. the forest for the leaves. I was just like, as my, my head was so down, right? And so I I felt sad in a way that I that I was unable in recent times to see a bigger picture, to see a, a very sobering glimpse of global suffering, um, the ways in which other households were coping. And so I feel like in some respect, that pendulum swing was so extreme and so abrupt that it actually, inside of it, it felt like I was doing a good job. But I, I didn't realize until I think relatively recently that I was blinkered in some very fundamental way. Like I, I just couldn't see much more. Uh, then what was it like the groceries that were in front of me and the, and oh, okay, now we're washing our mail. Okay, great. That's, this is now how we live. Right. Oh, oh, are we not trusting any other human being on the street or in public transportation or in a restaurant or, Mm. okay, great. That's what I'm going to do. Mistrust is the currency. Great. Mm. (laughs) And it's actually, it worked something fundamental in not wanting to die. I I guess I had ceased living to some degree. I know that sounds a little corny, but it's how how it felt from the inside. And so I am in the process now, and I think very much today, as to your question, of trying to write the pendulum a bit and try to find my equilibrium again. That's sort of how I feel about that. Am I right to say that it felt so microscopic Yeah. that the transition into macroscopic was impossible? Uh, virtually impossible. Yes. Yes. I have found cracks in that as to, as I climb my way out of the micro. Mm, I think I can relate. I felt almost the opposite though, but it's the same idea of like quick transitions feeling so unstable. And so it caused me to live in the present moment, Mm. but I think the future now is just such a blur that I don't even have yet the skill at my right young years of 25, where my prefrontal cortex has just begun. I don't yet have the skill to plan too far ahead. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm seeing that more and more with folks that I know, which makes all the sense in the world because things are less predictable than ever and things were canceled quickly, you know, that had been on the docket. And so it's hard to know how to trust what's next. That mistrust piece that you spoke on too, that feels very relevant today, I think. Yeah, in in, ways that are- connections. Yeah, in ways that are perhaps more subtle and more nuanced and less overt because they were reported on, right? Right. There was journalism on the topic two and a half years ago about who is a danger to us now. Yeah. And it's bizarre to combat an invisible enemy. Yeah. I just remember thinking like, show yourself, COVID. Just show your face. I need an image. (laughs) I need an image. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's weird that it could be anywhere on any surface, on anyone's hand or in anyone's mouth. It's just so bizarre. And the disorientation of that is still, I think with me, certainly. And I feel with, with others as well, as I look around, just how to come back from this thing, how to, mm-hmm. how to rehabilitate, even just sort of spiritually. It's Something not- that you've taught me, JB, Jonathan Bernstein, is to remember why empathy is a strength and not a weakness. And I think that's so um, saturated in 
the performing arts projects programs, the empathy and focus on community rather than isolation and mistrust. But I also would say that it's a hard skill to maintain. Yeah. Especially in global turmoil. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Isn't it? It's so hard. And the, the, certainly the pandemic or a pandemic of this nature has made that very thing all the harder. The truth is, as I try to talk about that, with mm-hmm. other people. In so doing, I am trying to teach myself how to be better at it, you know, for sure. And frankly, I would say, I don't think I come by it naturally. I need more help than most in, in that area. And the Performing Arts Project is very much devoted to those ideas and principles, uh, radical empathy, radical curiosity for each other. But I feel like in some ways we've adopted that posture so we can be helped right there alongside everybody else too. Well, and I would argue that like the faculty is also a part of the community because I would rather not be put on like a hierarchical scope. So absolutely the faculty, the facilitators, um, the interns, the people who are quote unquote leading the space are also deserving of the same amount of empathy. Yeah, without question. And why not? Just because we were born a little bit earlier right. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't exempt us from our fallibilities or, or, or what have you. But yeah, the, the community is, is in such in large part dedicated to the challenges of the sustainment, as you said, the sustainment of that, because it's a muscle, it's a muscle. And so in certain, certain sense, the programming that we've all built and evolved together is a gymnasium for empathy. Mm. So it's a place for people to work out their empathy muscle and just like, just drop lift, like just like a, just, you know, 800 tons of empathy every day, 24 seven. And picturing like McDonald's play place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. So it gets easier. One hopes like anything we, we feed various wolves Mm. in our bodies and our, in our, in our brains. And so it's a question about which one you want to nourish. Mm. My next thought is to throw you a question that I've always wanted to ask you. Are you ready to catch it? I'm good. I'm ready to try. What started the performing arts project 12 years ago? Well, that's easy. There were a few of us who knew each other from around town. Uh, We, I think, um, recognized in each other a kind of like-minded impulse to continue learning. (laughs) And so we found this summer arts training program uh, together. Uh, Can you name who those people are? I can try. I think there were 10 of us total. Okay. So so there are nine other names. Let's see if I can do it. Kimberly Slade, whom you know. Yes. Juliet Gray, whom you know. The wonderful too. Neil Patrick Stewart. Yes. NPS, Lindsay Lab, Dave Clemens, a guy named Rick Pisano, who we remember fondly now in memoriam, Alicia Eagle, who's a wonderful young artist and singer-songwriter that we knew, Monica Raymond. I think I'm one or two people short. Who am I forgetting? Or could I possibly forget? That might be it. I might have been wrong about 10. I think that sounds right. And a majority of those people are still around. Correct. And it was just kind of a glint in our eye. We thought this would be kind of a fun challenge, a worthwhile uh, thing to try to build from scratch. And they asked me if I would uh, be the artistic director. And I confessed at first, I said no. Mm. Uh, And then it kind of dawned on me that the job came with a bunch of people who would do all the stuff that I was fearful of having to do, which is like logistics and administrative stuff and all of the dotting of I's and crossing of T's. And it, it became clear to me that I got actually, my job was to just do the fun stuff, which was to dream big Mm. and try to create something untethered from how a program like this has been run in the past or should be run. (laughs) You know, like this idea of should is a Mm. really interesting word to me recently. I've really been kind of meditating on this idea of Mm -hmm. um, the word should sort of by definition ties us 
in ways both good and bad to how things have been done, to our inheritance. So for us, creating a summer program, I wanted to make sure that we were only inheriting things that were of use to us and we were doing so consciously. Mm. I think a lot of inheritance takes place subconsciously, takes place because familiar is safe. And uh, so we tried as best we could, all of us, to um, disinherit like mad, to just kind of look askance at everything that we were thinking, were we thinking of it just because we'd seen it, mm. you know, in the wild before it, we, we'd seen it in existence before. And I think there's, that's the only way to try to be original is to listen to your sort of wildest self, maybe to unsealing your imagination in novel ways and not preoccupy yourself too much with regard to, wait, I haven't seen that before. So can it be done? Mm. Throw a caution to the wind and find out. And I know that that's big talk. And uh, oftentimes <laughs> we we default to the mean, right? There, there are things in which, you know, we defaulted to, and especially in the early going, because mm-hmm. we thought, well, we know how that, how that works, that it can be done because of, you know, fill in quantity X, like we'd seen it. We, we, we understood it a bit better. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the first two or three years of the program, even those things started to fall away in beautiful and surprising manner. I love um, yeah, it was cool. So that's sort of how it came to be pretty modestly. And it's grown and grown in, in really lovely, lovely ways. I, I'm actually really proud of it, uh, which is uncharacteristic for me, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm very tough on the things that I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't trust being proud as a stance because I feel like it, it breeds, you know, uh, laziness maybe, or complacency of the sort that right. from an artistic standpoint is sort of the enemy, uh, you know, that you're constantly trying to keep at the door away mm. from your door. So, yeah. or outside your door. So, but I, but I, but in this case, I'm actually, I'm very pr- proud is perhaps not the word. I'm very moved mm. by what's happened low these past uh, 11 or 12 years, because it brought with it a series of really interesting experiments, both in creativity and sociology, mm. in like anthropology, like there are, like a number of things that I enjoy thinking yeah. about uh, are brought uh, to your attention all the time in new ways. And because we try to uh, do things differently all the time by design, uh, it's hard to get bored. I think it's nearly impossible to, <laughs> to yeah, get bored yeah. with the task at hand because the task is now uh, shape-shifting before your eyes. And so that's that's fun. That's great. And it's brought people like you into my life, which is really enriching. Thank you. It's so hilarious how I brought, was brought to TPAP because Instagram is to blame. Okay. And I don't love blaming Instagram because it has so <laughs> many things wrong with it. But the ad that I scrolled through one day was TPAP. Wow. And I clicked and I sent in an audition probably within the next week. Cool. And I was like, I've never been to North Carolina. I don't <laughs> live there. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's see what wolves we can feed there, you know? So, yeah. Um, and But I do remember the first day that I got there, I was super late due to a flight, but I jumped into the introduction ceremony that we have together. And you asked a question about... Canada. And I think you were like, is anyone from Canada here? Probably not. And I was like, I am. And from then on, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is good. This is going to be a a place where I can take risks and still feel supported. So thank you for that. Just that one question. You did all the heavy lifting there, it seems to me. You're welcome. But thank you. I was definitely flexing those gymnasium muscles just in that one moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's not easy, especially the first rep. (laughs) Yeah. What really struck me about the place, though, is how much there is. 
How many classes, skills, people, colors, sounds there are to those three weeks? I'm specifically talking about Pranorama, I should say. Right. But I think in what you were saying about evolving and changing it every every year, there still is such a like grab bag of information. It's almost as if, yes, it changes so much, but it also like expands like the universe. <laughs> so for me, at least like and going back um, in 2021 and just feeling like there was still so much more to learn that curation and that programming. I guess I'm curious about how do you know where to stop? that's a great way to phrase that question i mean the i guess the answer to it is you never do and that's what creates all of the things you just referenced all the colors and the sounds and the people like if if you don't stop i guess i suppose if you just continue to authentically respond to your curiosities as they evolve then the program can't help but reflect that in some way and not just me mind you but of course all of us who are helping that curation, um, contributing to that curation. And uh, and then, of course, you have, by late spring, a number of people who have taken you up on your invitation by audition to come join you. And then and only then can you actually really look at the situation soberly and say, well, well, what what should we do for these folks? Don't worry about what happened last year or the year before that or in our history, right? That's sort of completely irrelevant at this point. Mm. What about these human beings who are coming to join us or... Uh, uh, who are honoring us with their time. No small thing. No. How can we throw a bunch of new sounds and new colors at the problem uh, without understanding what what might come of that and just let it rip? The one thing I never want the program to be is hypocritical, right? So if we are preaching in some form or fashion, the gospel of sound performance technique is not to repeat yourself, right? If you're doing eight shows a week, or if mm-hmm. you're on a film or television set somewhere, it doesn't matter. Either way, you 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 want to respond honestly and truthfully to the moment, to where mm-hmm. you are then, right, at that time. Right. And if that's the case, if that's what we're ultimately trying to get people to be in conversation with as an idea, then we we can't help but behave that way organizationally, just mm-hmm. like writ large. Like the organization has to be as, as um, adaptable mm. um, and not... Um, tether ourselves to remember that time that we did that thing that worked really well right right because if we try to recreate that it's as sinister mm-hmm. a, an instinct as if you're doing a monologue you're trying to do it like three thursdays ago when it went really well right like if you try to stage revivals of these things cynically mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. then from the top down that shit just you know that shit just uh, by osmosis people understand oh wait they're resorting to the familiar and to the stuff they think works well, then I should too. It's the one thing we cannot afford to do. Okay. We, we, I think that's always been my principle from the beginning. And it makes for a more interesting experience, but a harder one to manage because there, there are just no laurels we can afford to rest on ever. And uh, it's fun uh, and more fatiguing, but guess what? So is the whole art form itself. Mm, you brought that back so well. Yeah, art is hard. Hard is hard. It's hard because when it's easy, it's not good. <laughs> totally. You know, <laughs> totally. like what you're saying about the replication. Yeah. And, you know, trying to restage something that already didn't feel like it was on a stage. Right. I, I think that's one thing I come by, honestly. My mm-hmm. mother, um, who passed away a few years ago, 
was an amazing artist. She was a sculptor and a ceramicist and a flower uh, a flower arranger and a jewelry maker. And she taught art in school sometimes. Wow. And she did a lot of different things. But one thing she never did was um, relax <laughs> in any sense, really. But certainly from a creative standpoint, she just, she would always say to me when she was starting a piece, like when she was, um, so she was 50 years old when she decided to become a metal welder and create sculpture out of found pieces of steel. And so, and she was mortified. She was petrified of the fire. Mm. So what did she know she needed to do? She needed to lean into it. Mm. So she bought steel tip boots and a visor and a, a torch, you know, and took a few classes. Certainly she wasn't, you know, a completely reckless, but, Mm -hmm. um, but she essentially taught herself how to weld. And, um, and make these amazing sculptural uh, artworks. And wow. I saw that, you know, and I, and I was so inspired by it. And she would say to me, I can't start a piece if I know how it's going to end. Like if I know the answer to it, then the question is not actually sincere. Mm. Uh, the question being, well, what's this new thing? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. how, well, what, well, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, how can you make art that is culturally relevant in some way? Well, if there's an answer to that, then the, the, the whole the whole thing's over. So um, she would, you know, as Kurt Vonnegut says, jump off the cliff and develop your wings on the way down. I saw her. I saw her making wings in free fall constantly. Hmm. And that was a terrific inspiration from a lot of different angles, not least of which was I saw an adult with a strong connection to a play drive. Mm. I saw an adult who didn't mind being a student and uh, acting like a kid in, right. in the, her kind of wonderful sense of ingenuousness and lack of guile and um, true interest in the, in the new. So I feel like it's that, that thing, that's what, that thing I'm not making up. Mm-hmm. That's one of the mm-hmm. few things like I feel like, Oh wait, I got that in my, in my bloodstream already. I'm good with yeah. that. Yeah. And to watch like someone focus so much on process yeah, as they are processing being an older human and being a mother. And I think not to summarize like what your mother was all about, but there was such a like focus on process and not on product. I'm I'm hearing. Always. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. She didn't know what the product would be. Right. So there was no ability to kind of game this system. She was just open-heartedly jumping into the unknown mm-hmm. and, and embracing that sense of being off balance, mm. which I think any great artist can do. Not necessarily effortlessly. It doesn't always come, you know, come easily. Certainly it shouldn't. Art is hard. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but, but she was okay with um, looking like a jackass looking like a novice, you know, mm-hmm. making mistakes constantly, learning from them, not stepping in the same break the wrong way twice. Mm. And just like, you know, figuring some stuff out and building a practice. Right. So I saw that. I saw that firsthand and it was incredibly helpful in ways I'll never be able to really know. Oh, wow. To bring it a little bit into the Performing Arts Project again, the idea of being on balance is for me at least a very um, 
centering feeling. Like I do feel like I have my eyes dotted and my T's crossed when I am like literally on balance on my leg, like, a, you know, a dancer on their balanced leg. But what I experienced multiple times at TPAP, 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 <laughs> was that if I did feel off balance, I could lean so easily, so in proximity to someone else who is off balance. And that is like a bridge. <laughs> if I can make an image like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. That's so great. Well, if that's the new normal, right? If everyone's doing the same thing, if that's, if that's the reality of the place, right. And everyone's jumping, then right. it's much, much safer. Well, and I think like if someone is looking into coming to this program, but likes being on balance, likes being centered, you know, likes having um, an alignment of sorts. I think they can rest assured knowing that there are other people to lean on and to be inspired by and to collaborate with, you know, that I think that idea of being centered will completely like Uno reverse as soon as you get there, you know? <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. I would think so for sure. Like, do you have students who like at first are so hesitant and close off immediately when they get there? Oh, without question. Yeah, of course. Of course. In ways that I heartily respect. Mm. It's not a sign of anything typically other than just uh, adrenaline and nerves. And, uh, you know, like where, here's something. A woman who teaches Alexander technique, uh, right. which is a type of um, it's sort of a yogic practice. She, she taught me recently, well, she didn't teach me this. She said to me, mm -hmm. She pointed out to me that I walk at a tilt. I literally, and this is true about me. I felt this since I was like, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. I mm -hmm. walk, the way I walk is a little bit like the leading tower of Jonathan Bernstein. Like I just <laughs> kind of like walk with my head going first and my, the rest of my body just following imperceptibly, like barely perceptibly, like just by fractions of, you know, millimeters. Right. And she, she noticed this and she said to me, it's because she said to me, you prize your intellect and you want to make sure that wherever you go, your brain arrives first, <laughs> sort of as the avant-garde to like, just like, you know, like yeah. the, the, the soldiers in, at, the, at the beginning of the, at the, at the tip of the spear, just to like suss things out, just to make sure that right. it's safe. Right. Just to like intellectualize the new scenario. Mm. With each step I take in life, my brain is like trying to assess what's what. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that must be true with every human being, but we trust different parts of ourselves to arrive early. Yeah. And for me, I think that's very true. My head does arrive first. And so even for me, I feel like I've got to try to, my sense of being on balance is to move my head back a little bit and not necessarily lean exclusively on that chakra, mm. but rather, you know, allow um, the unfamiliar to happen and to just try to walk a little bit more upright. Yeah, and, yeah. and, um, and not do the reconnaissance that I'm accustomed to doing mm. just within, you know, again, fractions of a second. And so it happens to students. It happens to me. It happens to all of us. It's how you respond to that. It's how it's, 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 it's again, what you choose to let defeat you. Mm. Lots of defeats in store both yes. at the performing arts project in those three weeks of a crucible, but also just generally in life. Yeah. yeah I mean, 
defeat is is uh, uh, I think completely impossible to sidestep. The mm. tripwires abound, but you know it's about staying staying upright as best you can and and trusting more skill sets or building more skill sets to cope with whatever new thing uh, is in front of you, so that you can stay equal to mm. the challenge to the, the the new challenge. I'm thinking about the posture that you spoke on and for me it's definitely um my like hips go first mm. like my pelvic floor goes first right uh due to the way that I grew up training and movement and um I'm a lot more focused on pilates these days and so I like really lean back with my head and my heart and right. just pull the like um the engine that moves my body forward yeah and uh I wonder if the way that we like restack everything you know hips chest head if that is allowed to be balanced if that is the one thing that you know remains on balance um perhaps it it allows us to be available for the off balance that's happening around us or the potential for another participant to fall off balance as well. And we can be their anchor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Cause I don't want to say that like, uh, people should be just completely aligned, but I think like anatomically they should, <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. It helps with the chiropractic bills. Right. <laughs> Um, Does that make sense to you? Complete sense. Okay. Yeah, without question. Without question. But but I feel like there is something to be said for finding um, the, the entirely unfamiliar thrilling. Mm. I, think, I think really good artists have a sense of wanting to be off balance. Right. Like there's nothing better to the right actor in a long running show than to have an understudy go on mm. because it, it again it attunes your stimuli in a different way right it just all of a sudden keeps you honest yeah and and that should be exciting i think that's important right so yeah i don't know i, I just feel like even in this conversation neither of us are completely sure what we're encircling but we're we're like we're being Fuck we're trying no. to be no but it's but in a beautiful way right i mean i'll speak for myself like i don't yeah, yeah, really yeah. Under, have a true grasp of wait this is how i need to live this mm -hmm. is just like i'm positing a series of you know ideas and theories and seeing what what might stick so even mm -hmm. as i talk aloud i'm trying to formulate what i'm going to have you know uh, what i'm going to be like later today mm -hmm. and it, and and it, it this kind of ad lib this kind of like riff on what I know up to now and how it might inform who I'll be is just also a, a genuine kind of thrill into a, into an abyss, right? Mm. A, 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 a launch into a series of unknowns. Neither of us have ever been alive today before. <laughs> True. Like it is 3.41 PM Eastern as we speak. Mm -hmm. So 3.42 could, who knows? Could who bring knows? anything. And so it's like, it's a series of, it's, I guess it's the ability to live as close to the future as possible. Like you and I are riding, we're riding on this edge of like, as far into the present tense as we, as we dare to go, as we can bring ourselves to go. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's great. So the past can inform us, but we can't lean upon it too, too heavily mm. or else the future will be compromised. This is how yeah. I see things. Yeah. And uh, I do think um, uh, different people grasp that idea in different ways and in their own time. Mm-hmm. So it might take a week. It might take two weeks. It might not be until the very last day of Panorama, of Blueprint, of Compass. Yeah, sure, of course. They grasp a small morsel of that. Yeah, one hopes that there's revelations along the way that will provide immediate satisfaction of some sort. <laughs> yes. For sure. But like, yeah, these are these are more abstract philosophical life lessons that we're trying to grapple with. But I certainly am convinced that totalitarian structures, that is things that are definitive and set mm-hmm. and expected, that, that that's where the should rears its head. Yeah. You know, like those constructs aren't useful to the artist. We have to learn to live in the gray, in the doubt, in yeah. true uncertainty, in right. true, like, I'm, I'm about to have this rehearsal. I'm about to sit down and write this scene. I'm about to paint this flat uh, for the set design. I don't know what will happen next. Mm. I have to let my, uh, the, the, the hemisphere of my brain that, that, that isn't in control mm-hmm. have some say in the process. That's what we're trying for. That is so beautiful. And I'm trying to like figure out a way to segue <laughs> because I'm so like deep in thought. It, you know, it, it for me, it feels like we're in the um, quote unquote business of human life, <laughs> sure. you know, and with all the mess that that comes with. The human life biz. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes me, it, funny enough, it makes me trust humans more when I am in company of others who are doing the same scary thing with me. Yeah. Funny enough. Like we're both scared, but we trust each other. Right, for sure. And isn't that the whole point of good art is to make you feel less alone? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's the deal. That's yes. the whole that's the whole shooting match right there. So that's that's what we have to do. And 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 I really believe this idea that we're all of us completely unique, but that's only true insofar as we're being ourselves. Yes. Not forcing it is something I'm still focusing, focusing on, focused on in my practice yeah uh, because i want it so bad and i want to have i want it to happen now yeah but what's lovely about panoramas there's three weeks yeah and even at the end of the first week i feel like i have tried so many firsts and failed so many times that i feel ready for more that's awesome that's you so know? great and it's time enough to disinherit the need to dance like Misty Copeland or yes. sing like Sutton Foster or act like Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's about realizing, oh wait, Daniel Day-Lewis is so fantastic. Tilda Swinton is so fantastic, right? Audrey McDonald is such a force. These people are so remarkable, but yeah. that's only because they're not imitating anybody. And so we have to try to figure out, they might have had inspirations aplenty, mm-hmm. but they do seem sweet, generous, right? They do seem like just one of a kind completely. Yeah. And so it is our task to bring as much Jonathan Bernstein as I can bear to any room I walk into, you know, (laughs) as I can bear and see what happens, you know? Yes. I really enjoyed the fact that your audition process um, 
feels a lot, a little bit uh, more um, like what you're saying about, uh, it feels like you can get to know the people a little bit more rather than get to know what they're good at. Yeah. I really enjoy that. And Thanks. sitting in on auditions this past weekend was such a um, and reinvigorating process of, of me realizing, oh yeah, we're allowed to know each other and get to know each other, not just audition each other, you know? Yeah, well said. I'm glad. And that's certainly the 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 main goal there. Have you found like a, a evolution of how to audition these kinds of programs or has sure. it always remained the same about getting to know each of these unique people that apply? I think in answer to that question, it's always remained philosophically the same. Mm. I wanted it to feel more like a workshop than an audition. Okay. But that said, over time, I feel like I and, and a few others of us who are responsible for this element of things have been able to finesse some techniques that we use to achieve that goal. So for example, when we're doing live auditions mm -hmm. in a room together in person with people and they come in one at a time, um, there's never a table. For example, there's never a table that separates us as a moat. Uh, well, that's us. so different us versus them. It's a, it's a, it's a audition staple, right? There's a table and the person who's auditioning is on the other side of the table. And I am safely ensconced in my chair yeah. over here. And typically I have a writing utensil in my hand and a, something to write on. Mm -hmm. And that, and that auditionee is well aware that the thing that I'm writing is whether they're any good, Yeah, which sucks. It sucks. It puts up <laughs> such a wall, that table. Yeah. It's brutal. So yeah. no tables, no writing utensils, no paper in sight ever. That is wow. like, that, that's a technique that we use. It's important. We also dress down by design. We want to make sure we're not like dressed in any way that could be deemed formal because mm. again, that, that by osmosis sends a signal that this is a formal situation. Right. So these are again, like techniques, things that we've sort of built um, to help all parties concerned mm. or just to help the knowledge that you were talking about to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the weirdest speed date ever. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and that's what you're trying to, you're trying to come up with something that is, that can transcend cocktail party conversation quickly. Right, right. And I think uh, in doing so, you're still commenting on the fact that it is an audition. Like it, it is always baseline. We know that we're trying to figure out something by the end of the 15 minutes, whatever, how much, how long it is. Right. But along the way, um, there is such a breaking down of that stereotype of an audition room. Um, and I watched it in the participants that we uh, spoke with on Saturday. I watched their like normal audition posture at the beginning of the Zoom slowly become more, more engaged almost. That is definitely what, what we're after for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really it's so cool to see. Yeah, it's so much better. So much better that way. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the they're they're putting their best foot forward. They've been conditioned to do so. No one blames them for this. Yeah. But but over time, what I'm looking for is the other foot because it's the more interesting one. <laughs> and so the best foot forward, like the the best foot forward, is the polished one, right? The one that you you sort of yeah. you real you start to realize over time it, it makes you look the best, maybe or. 
you know, the most talented or, or the most intelligent or the, or the funniest or the whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's like, that's all well and good, but it's actually not terribly compelling. Right, right. The things you think you're good at. Great. Let's just, let's, that's fine. That's been established by you. Cool. Let's actually move mm-hmm. past that now and see mm-hmm. if you're willing to, to um, demonstrate or to, you know, sort of uh, contend with the things that you're not so good at which right. goes right back to my mom's insistence that she not know how to solve something before she started it. There's bravery in that. And, yeah. and I think that's what we're trying to kind of uh, bring out in everyone, including ourselves. What would you say to someone who maybe is auditioning digitally when you don't really get to have that conversation or that interaction with them in real time, but you receive um monologues, dance pieces, songs, original pieces, poems, a plethora of things that they are proud of and good at and have, you know, packaged together. What would you say to them? How would they curate that package when it's not in person? Right. Um, The website hopefully says it so that it it leads them, you know, toward the path of what, what ultimately we're looking for. The website uh, compels people to speak to the camera for a minute or two at least. There are a couple of sample questions on the website that are a little bit off the beaten path to say the least. But if you don't want any of those, if that doesn't evoke something in you, you can just talk about whatever you like. And hopefully that, that will um, evidence something that is not necessarily the most polished, the most coached you mm-hmm. know, um, part of their repertoire. Uh, and it is, I confess, the thing I look at first. You know, there's usually like three or four components to a digital audition, mm-hmm. but I'll always go to that personal, we call it the personal ad lib. So even, even in the language, I'm trying to sort of foster unscriptedness yeah. uh, to see what would happen. And um, I love that. yeah, so that's always my favorite part. And I, I go to that first, just, just, just to get a sense of who I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Get to know each other. Yeah. Because we're going to spend three intense weeks if you right. come to Panorama, of course. Exactly. Together. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other strands of TPAP include Blueprint, which is more leaned towards people who are prepping for that college audition for that, That's um, right. you know, university audition. So I'm interested in hearing about what Blueinifieds are. Did I say that right? You did. What is that? So it's, it's contingent upon you knowing what Unifieds are. which is more of an American phenomenon, I suppose. Unifieds is become a sort of in the cottage industry that is the college audition gauntlet in the States. Right. They happen in, I want to say at least three cities, New York, LA, Chicago, maybe more for better. Well, not for better and for worse, for better, full stop. I am not very steeped in a a great, like, you know, base of knowledge in these things. Mm. Uh, I think I want to prefer to, I prefer to keep it that way. But as I understand it, Unifieds happens in three or four cities in the, you know, uh, late winter. And what, and what it's become is instead of you having to travel to all of the colleges to audition personally for each of them, which can be very expensive. Right. Some people audition for upwards of 15, 20 schools. I, I met a young woman who told me the other day, right? She auditioned for 36 different, different schools and, <laughs> and like universities and colleges and conservatories. So yeah. that obviously is just prohibitive from a cost standpoint for most people. Absolutely. And so, so Unifies is um, a moment, a three or four day long festival, essentially, whereby a lot of college reps assemble in this one city 
And so the lone student can go to say Chicago, for example, which I, I think is the biggest and can over the course of three or four days audition for 10 or 15 different wow. places. They're all sort of set up in, in conference rooms at a big hotel. It's sort mm. of a you know, big convention. Yeah, um, That's what unifieds are. So at our blueprint program, mm-hmm. one, one day a week, we do something we call balloonifieds, <laughs> which is essentially trying to simulate that uh, rondelay, this kind of right. intense audition for a bunch of places within the course of a few hours. So over the course of uh, five or six hours, say, we set up rooms with fake university names, incidentally. Um, uh, I love that. Yeah. And so they, and, you know, they just kind of go from one room to the next. They have appointments that are made, you know, and so yeah. at two, 240, I'm going to go in and, and do a monologue and uh, two songs for this school. And then at 305, I've got to go over to this school, which only wants two monologues, one class, you know, one of which has to be class, that kind of thing. So right. there, there are various um, requirements set up uh, inside of Blunifies. And these rooms are run by different people um, who are looking for different things. I want one of the colleges to be named like Blueliard. I don't think we've used Blueliard, but I'm surprised we haven't because it's the very <laughs> type of pun that we are looking for. Um, it's so great. Yeah, there's a number of them that uh, the 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 folks who run Blueprint have come up with over the years, which were really hilarious. But Blueliard, I think, might be new. And if you don't mind, I might suggest that to them this summer. Absolutely, do that. I don't mind at all. I, I will have credit. A personal... I will credit you. Oh, thank you. I I hope uh, the actual name of the university, uh, which I won't say, um, reaches out because we can totally do a rebranding. We sure can. We sure can. It's not like Blue, if Blue Man Group founded Juilliard. Um, uh, I'll tell you, though, mm-hmm. if you're with us this summer, you might even run that that room, Juilliard. That's all, that's all you. Amazing. Yeah. That's oh, cool. that, that's going to be so nice for like little um, Brianna who auditioned for Juilliard and didn't get in. That's going to be yeah. so nice. Thank you. I hope yeah, so. Just desserts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's two weeks of like super technical, um, but still fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, audition prep and balloonifieds as I'm now hearing about. And then there's also compass on camera and compass for movers. Right. And those are one week's. One week uh, intensives um, and you can do blueprint and then one of the two compasses, ah, the, the cool. way the timing works out. So compass dance for movers is one of them. And the other one is acting on camera and they're just well, as, as advertised one week long intensives exclusively in that one field hmm. uh, to get better at it, to have a base that's safe to you know mess up in. Mm-hmm. and build muscle build muscle build muscle gymnasium gymnasium i love it and then of course the wonderful panorama oh, i just love it so much i think what uh i'm just reading from the website because i did research and i want to you, you did research oh amazing um, what does it say it says cultivating bravery collaboration and finding what you have to say that's pretty cool it's really cool. I don't know if you wrote that, but it's very well read. And also one of the things that I love about Panorama is the choose a palooza days <laughs> where like classes can veer off of the three disciplines, like acting, singing, and dancing and go into like, maybe there's time for um, what your mom was doing with metal wielding or um, 
I think at one point there was like ultimate Frisbee. I'd like, I think it's just so cool that there's all of these one-off rando classes that just <laughs> also flex a different muscle yeah. because we get to get out of acting, singing, dancing for a little bit. I think that's really cool. Yeah. You know, this is going to sound a little pretentious, but I'm just about to drop an Albert Einstein anecdote on you. Oh and I gosh. apologize in advance. I just really, really kind of obnoxious, <sighs> but you saying that rando thing, that's just like off the beaten path yeah. made me, made me remember that Einstein had this phrase and I believe he called it combinatory play. So to take a break from the math that he was doing to, and he would mm. play violin for like an hour a day. <laughs> and so for him, he combines a combinatory, like he would combine that sense of play, that violin, something about that hour would help his math mm. and vice versa. He was looking for a way in which they were in conversation with each other. And so, yeah, if you, if you on a choose a blues a day, if you go learn about it, there's a there was dream interpretation one year there was you know there's been all manner there was snake handling there was um you know <laughs> these are all optional incidentally uh though i was yes. I, I myself was dared to go to the snake handling one as a student because i'm uh, petrified of snakes and i did uh and it helped actually it was interesting a guy came who was like a snake expert and he brought two of his snakes from his personal collection wow uh, and um you ran towards no, the danger there yeah, yeah, we all really did. And no one got hurt. Um, but there's, yeah, there's volleyball, there's um, garage band, you know, I mean, there's, there's different things that are obviously not as far afield. Uh, there was this one choose a blues, one of my favorites of all time was the aforementioned Neil Patrick Stewart, mm. who's big into Shakespeare and really knows this stuff. He taught a four hour long class, just looking at the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. Yes. I remember and, this. And as you know, with Chusapaloozas, the teacher can tap the number of students for the that particular session. Yeah. So you could choose to say unlimited if, if you like, but you can also give it a, a hard a hard limit. And he said just two people, two people, whoever are the first two people to sign up for Romeo and Juliet, four hours, and it was just table work, mind you. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't for anyone. It wasn't for performance. We never really dig into that element of things as you know it's not about you know trying to impress anyone it's just about the work mm -hmm. and so I remember that day that afternoon I was wandering around and I was sort of like dipping into various juice blues to, to survey the landscape and and I sat in on about 15 minutes of the three of them it was Neil and two uh of female students who were the first two to sign up and every half hour or so they would switch one would play Romeo and the other play Juliet and then they'd rotate and for four hours, they just broke down every freaking syllable of the beautiful balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet, just for the love of. And um, I had to leave after 15 minutes because I think I was going to start crying. Like I, just, oh. I, I, I found it so beautiful that yeah. these two, two young students who didn't have much experience with Shakespeare until that day, mm -hmm. you know, got to sit with a guy who, who knows this stuff and just realized the beauty of the poetry in that sequence and the connection in that sequence. And then after those four hours were, you know, were up, they went to dinner and they're onto something else. And it was like, God damn, what a cool opportunity. Absolutely. So yeah, choose the blues of days are, are fun for sure. I'm remembering though, the year I was there, there was a, an R and D that looked at the balcony scene 
It might not have been Neil, maybe. Maybe I'm thinking that's of someone else. That's very possible. Yeah, I think that's right. That does ring a bell, but I don't think it was Neil. I forget. Yeah. And then because there was like a physical element to it, right? Yeah, there was I, in Wake Forest University, the balcony of that became oh, the stage. Yes, I remember now what you're doing. It, it, that was Neil. Yeah, yeah, yes? yeah. Okay. That was two yeah. different students. Yeah, for sure. It has to be Neil. It has to be Neil. Yep, yep. Yes, cool. that was. Yeah. I wonder so, if that came before the choose a class. Maybe it was I think, inspired I think, by that could that may well have been yeah but yeah choose a it is so much fun and so tiring and wonderful <laughs> and then another great element about panorama is the r&ds which we yeah. just spoke on getting to work on an original piece after having three different classes or uh, a full day of technique getting to um, apply that technique into something that is so original and new. And even for the director choreographer, it's like, we don't know what we're going to do, but we just jump in. I love ending each day with those rehearsals. I think that's so genius. Yeah, those are really fun. And people are legitimately encouraged to just follow whatever bliss they're listening to most loudly at any given time. You know, someone comes to me and says like, I would like to stage chapter eight of Eleanor Roosevelt's biography and set it to the musical Coldplay. I'm like, and I'm going to, well, I, I, I want to like rehearse it by the swings or like the hammocks on, in the middle of the quad. I'm like, hell yeah. Are you kidding Let's me? That's it. great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a cliche. So yeah, it's like, great. Of course. Why not? No one else is doing that. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. And it, and then getting to watch other people's. Yeah. And like knowing how hard it is to like dive in and, and find a like a, a product at the end of the process, a small product doesn't have to be fully imagined, but like, I feel such empathy and such like uh, excitement for my fellow, you know, participants who also went through that because I know they're tired and I know like there are other monologues we have to practice and write our stand up and stuff. So I just... <laughs> You know, it's really, really, really cool to to sit and watch those R&Ds at the end of the three days. Yeah, it's nice sharing. Yeah, yeah. it's like an open rehearsal sort of informal environment. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else I'm missing about Pranorama, though. Is there anything you want to add to why people should choose that specific program? No, not really. I, mean, I think uh, it's nice to talk about these things in a less recruitment oriented or business like way, but rather just out of enthusiasms. I mean, so much it's great i'm so happy to, to hear that from you and uh I, I share it those things have made me certainly um a hell of a lot wiser R- running them watching them it's really been great uh there's a whole philanthropic side to what happens at panorama at least pre-pandemic it's a little bit more delicate now coming off of the pandemic to mm-hmm. try to know how to be of best service but we would fan out you know all over town within like a 50 mile radius and go to 10 or 11 different sites um, like assisted living facilities, or there's a home for people with muscular dystrophy, or there's an elementary school for the hard of hearing, and then just be of use somehow, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's a fundamental sort of core concept as well to the place. Yeah. It's all, it's good. It's a great way to spend your time. Jeez. I mean, I feel like mm. I look forward to it and uh, I, I try to in part, because it's not just me, but, but in doing this with other people, I think we all try to create the place that we wish would have been in existence when we were that age. Mm. The place that would have helped us, you know, uh, become ourselves more quickly. Wow. Thank you for sharing that and for building 11 years of this bang of a place, if I can use that word, because you taught me that. 
What, what do you mean by that though? The question mark and the exclamation point is exactly how I feel about TPAP. <laughs> That's amazing. Right? Yeah, as, as, as punctuation goes, it comes the closest. Right? It's like, what am I doing here? But what am I doing here? <laughs> so I am thrilled uh, that it's happening again and that it's back in the same space that it was uh, previously because I know you've jumped around a bit. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, man. I tell you, the only thing about the Performing Arts Project I don't like, literally quite the only thing, is mm. the name. The name, oh. I was I was outvoted in the early going about what to call it. Uh, that was never my my uh, my choice, if I'm mm-hmm. honest. But only because it sounds a little anodyne, right? It's like the Performing Arts Project. First of all, it's a terrible acronym, if we're being honest, right? TPAP is rough. And then just <laughs> generally, like the Performing Arts Project, project's a great word. Great. Yes. The yes. other three words, I'm not a fan. The is fairly, fairly neutral. I, I shouldn't come down too hard on the. Yeah, right. But we don't, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't really, it doesn't have the spirit of the place in, in those four words. And now I'm thinking like, just, just interrobang, just like the interrobang project, yeah. something like that, <laughs> that has a nicer ring somehow. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. It's a great word too. Fun word. So Okay. Well, I'm going to put a link to the website because it seems like there's so much more information to check out there. Sure. Is there a deadline on when people can submit? digitally there's a first round uh that's coming to a close at some point in march um okay. but no there's no real deadline i mean we will hold spots until they're you know filled until until we can hold no more at any point in the in the weeks that follow if this is intriguing to you at all i would encourage folks to uh look into it and um send in a video or meet us on zoom in real time and uh there'll be opportunities to audition through the spring. Um, yeah. Yeah. And anyone out there who seems like, oh, he, who isn't repelled by anything we've discussed thus right. far. <laughs> like if you've made it this far and you're like, oh, that, does, that doesn't sound completely ridiculous. Um, then by all means, we'd love to meet you. Yes. And I hope to be there. I still have to figure out a couple of travel things, but I'm 75% sure I would love to be there if you'll have me. You are heartily invited and i would insist that you run the blue liard room at blueprint if you're there (laughs) that would mean so much to me truly would um jonathan bernstein jb thank you for this my pleasure thank you so nice to be with you yeah to have an hour of your time feels really precious and sacred so thank you for making time for me too same right back at you thank you thanks Thank you so much for listening to the Art Versations podcast. Please help the podcast community continue to grow by clicking subscribe or follow on your podcast platform and leave a review. As well, follow the podcast on Instagram at artversationspod. You'll find photos of the guests you just heard, plus highlights and quotes from each episode. Let's keep the Art Versation going. Send in a DM with your thoughts about art and any questions you might have for guests. Special thank you goes out to Jen Marquez and Maxim Bartnowski for their contributions. And thank you, listener. Till next time.